Hello and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, closetalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show. And Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed. And if you go to cardboardboxproductionsinc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Hello, and welcome to this all-new episode of Close Talking. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jack Rossiter-Munley. And I'm your other co-host, Connor McNamara-Stratton. And today we have an extra special episode because we are being joined by a special guest, Dr. Len Lawson. He has a PhD in English Literature and Criticism from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Uh, he was a 2021 Carter G. Woodson Outstanding Graduate Student Award winner, so that's pretty cool. He is on the board of directors of the South Carolina Writers Association and is involved with many different literary organizations in South Carolina where he is based. He's received over a half dozen fellowships. And if you listen to our sister podcast, Poetry Spoken Here, you would have heard him on episode number 96, back when he was doing the, the media rounds for his 2019 book, Chime, which is an excellent book, highly recommended. Um, he is also the co-founder of the Poets Respond to Race Initiative, which exhibits art and holds open forums to offer a gateway into tough discussions on race and diversity and to change communities of the South. Most importantly, however, and the reason that we are all gathered here today is the fact that he is the co-editor, along with Gary Jackson and Cynthia Manick, of The Future of Black, Afrofuturism, Black Comics, and Superhero Poetry, which features a wide array of different writers, Tracy K. Smith, Terrence Hayes, Nikki Giovanni, Lucille Clifton, who you might not know, wrote several poems about Superman, and many, many more uh, poets, both very well-known names and others who I'm sure if you pick up this collection, you would be thrilled to discover. I know that's a lot of different stuff, but Len's an impressive guy, so I wanted to make sure to do him justice. Len, welcome to Close Talking. Yeah, thank you. That was a great introduction. I appreciate it. <laughs> Good to be with you guys today. We are so glad to have you with us. Um, very quickly, we are going to be actually talking about a poem of Lens that is in this collection. So I'm very excited about that. A first for Close Talking to actually have the poet themselves on the podcast to discuss. Um, but before we dove into that, and as a way for our listeners to maybe get to know you a little bit better, uh, I thought we might quickly go around. And if we have a favorite superhero share who that might be and and why so len do you have a favorite superhero and if so who is that superhero 
Um, I've only been ready for this question my whole life. So, you know, <laughs> a lot has been building up to this. So I'm, you know, glad to share this anytime I'm asked. Um, I have been a Batman person, you know, since I was very young. So I, I will take all the smoke about, you know, Batman, not a superhero, is a superhero. You know, we don't have time <laughs> to talk about it, but, you know, he is the man. Okay. So, I mean, if you need, if you need reasons, you know, uh, the best reason I, I like to give all the time is that, okay, so you have like all like the superheroes. Let's just, let's just focus on the DC heroes. Okay. Like since he's like a, a DC guy. So Superman, Wonder Woman, you know, Green Lantern and uh, others, Aquaman, et cetera. If something happened and this this does happen from time to time where they let's say they lose their powers right then the rest of them i mean not saying that they're worthless but the rest of them are going to have more trouble getting along than bruce wayne am i right not only is he financially equipped but i mean his tools don't require superpowers so and then you know <laughs> he's got the uh, gadgets he's got the gadgets yeah, I mean, so he's got all the things and he's like the, you know, the fuel that makes the engine go when when they all come together. So, um, you know, unfortunately, I mean, he's been like in popular culture, he's been like, you know, uh, you know, just riddled the death with like several remakes of, the, of his films, <laughs> you know, so uh, building like this fraternity of Batman, like, um, <laughs> like. Um, do, you ha- do you have a favorite Batman? Um, I gotta go with the original. I gotta go with the the original. Um, so Michael Keaton is kind of the man. So you know, he's he, when I think of like movie Batman, that's that's the one I usually cling to. But um, Robert Pattinson up is upcoming, so I'm not sure how I feel about that. You know, but uh, it is what it is. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good after the most recent trailer. I don't know how you felt about you it. You feeling good? Okay. I, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Um, I also, I recently rewatched both of Keaton's Batman movies and they are really good. They really hold up. I got to say. They stand the test of time. I think those hold up. It's good stuff. Uh, in contrast to someone who's been preparing for this question their whole life, I believe we have my esteemed <laughs> co-host Connor, who has been preparing uh, no. for this question for about 10 <laughs> minutes since I... Uh, <laughs> briefly mentioned it to him before the no pressure no pressure yeah Yeah. no no pressure (laughs) well fortunately i got my confusing dc and marvel uh out of the way before we started recording and jack was very gracious to let me know the difference again um (laughs) so i hopefully will remember that for at least the next little while um In, in the last 10 minutes or so, I've, I've come up with my definite answer, um, which I would have to say is Wolverine. And there's basically t- two reasons. One is there's the one movie that came out when I was a kid. I think it was one of the first X-Men of the like 2000s or something. And he mm-hmm. gives them the middle finger with one of his like claws. <laughs> and that was pretty cool. Um and then Logan, which came out recently, yeah. is very good. Uh, and I like I like the kind of um, the bleak superhero just kind of trying to get from point A to point B. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's my definitive answer. I've given it a lot of thought and, um, you can't, you can't disagree, Jack. So I, I, a I, solid I, pick. yeah, <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I, that's good. I was a little nervous. I would, I would pick one of the wrong ones. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, there's, there's one movie where literally the only thing he says is fuck off. Like, you, <laughs> I think you need to check that out. Cause it's very similar vibe to the, the middle, the middle adamantium claw finger. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He's got a real, a real gnarly side. Yeah. No, Wolverine's a good choice. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've I think also, he's like really related to Batman in that regard, where they're like these almost mm. curmudgeonly type you yeah, know, figures right. or these reclusive type people. They don't like working with teams. They'd rather do everything themselves. So exactly. You know, yeah. 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 Definitely no, relatable. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Jack, you got, you got any thoughts on this? Uh, it's so much easier to come up with questions than to answer them. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see, it's tough. I I've always had a big soft spot for Wonder Woman, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably gonna have to go with Ant Man though, because it's such wow. a quirky power to have. Um, <laughs> but it opens up a lot of interesting storytelling possibilities, mm-hmm. and I also think, uh, you know, both in the comics and then the film version, I like that he is just kind of a nice dude. Um, it's a little bit like a flip side to kind of what you're talking about, Len, with, you know, if no powers, are they okay kind of situation? All right. He's not the richest guy and he's not necessarily, I mean, in some stories he is, but depending on the scenario, he's not always super wealthy. He doesn't always have an ant cave or whatever. Um, <laughs> but, you know, particularly the way that he's transitioned onto screen is just like basically a nice person. I think that that's yeah. a, an underrated quality and, uh, I appreciate that about him. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go with Ant-Man on this one, though. I think as, as with a lot of these things, catch me on a different day, it might be a different answer. <laughs> oh, very underrated, you know, with, you need somebody to go in and like very microscopic spaces, you know, you can't just call on the Hulk, you know, you got right? right. <laughs> yeah. I so. mean, Thor, Thor is great and everything, but you know, the God of Thunder attracts attention. If you need something kind of covert, you know, exactly. call up Hank Pym, Scott Lang, you know, yeah. ring. Also super intelligent as well. He's uh, like physicist and, and all the like. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Genius level scientist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He figured out how to make himself tiny. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and also huge. Like that seems hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. See? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, now that we sort of know where we all stand in the various uh, superhero universes, let's dive into some poems about superheroes. Uh, fittingly, though Connor and I are on the, you know, picked Marvel characters, you picked a DC character, and we've got a poem of yours that dives even deeper into the world of DC. Would you care to share? I would love to share. Um, so in the anthology, The Feature of Black, uh, Afrofuturism, Black comics and superhero poetry. Um, I have a poem that's in four, let's say four episodes or four parts. So uh, this is about uh, Amanda Waller, who's the founder of the Suicide Squad. So um, for those that aren't familiar, 
uh, and haven't seen like the, the films that have come out recently um, in the comics and uh, also like in animated series, uh, the Suicide Squad is this, uh, you know, band of rogue villains who have been imprisoned. And so Amanda Waller, who is sort of this uh, tactical uh, genius strategist who works at the Pentagon, she comes up with the idea that you can use supervillains in order to do black ops missions. <laughs> so uh, the incentive that the villains have is that they get time off their sentences or they just are not killed by Amanda Waller just outright. So, you know, it's an offer you can't refuse, like literally. So um, I was interested in uh, Waller because first of all, she's African-American and she's female. So those uh, demographics generally don't jive with, you know, the Pentagon the military uh, in general. So she's like invading these spaces or she has agency in these spaces that, you know, she normally wouldn't have in reality. So, um, just thinking about a lot of those things, I wanted to like, you know, posit her in different places. So this particular episode that I'm going to read is with her and Harley Quinn, who's also uh, in the Suicide Squad, but she has like her own sort of, you know, fan following now due to like the films and different uh, TV things as well. So this is called uh, Episode 3, Amanda Waller Has a Woman to Woman with Harley Quinn. She peers into a realm of the multiverse and sees she is Quinn's mammy, donning the black and white maid uniform with a toothy grin and fractured English dialect of a broken education. Watching her beloved Miss Harley sneak back through her bedroom window at night after necking by the lake with Mr. Jack Napier. What to make of this youngin who has a life mapped out for her until death. Mammy worked her fingers to the bone all her life, so no time to marry. Hell, no time to make babies either. Tending generations of white chillin, passing through the Quinn house. Who knew this child would get touched in the head? Mammy peers through her own crack in the multiverse to see Miss Harley dressed like a schoolgirl who played with her mama's makeup case and standing in front of her is a familiar looking dark-skinned woman in a suit like a man. She looks mad at Miss Harley, who is sitting in a chair like she's in trouble with the principal. The big-boned Black woman in the suit with arms folded does not seem impressed or threatened by the girl's whiteness. She doesn't have the luxury to date a psychopathic white man. She would have choked the maniacal laughter, choked on the maniacal laughter out of him without a smirk of her own if he tried. Joker only syringed Quinn's mind with his hysteria because he knew she was malleable. She will not don a blonde lace front wig and pigtails. She lost a son, a daughter, and a husband to the ruthless Chicago projects. She does not have time to lose her mind too. But as Mammy stares at this version of herself, she sure feels like she has lost every marble God gave her. Black women don't dress in no suits and they sure don't look down on white folk. Mammy ain't got time for these games. So she goes to her room to pray to her ever loving God 
that these dreams from the devil don't plague her sweet soul no more. Yet while she sleeps, she hears that shrill devilish laughter cackling in her mind with the high-pitched squeal of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed piglet following close behind. Thank you for reading that. Yeah, it's amazing. So quickly before we dive into this poem specifically, you mentioned that it's, you know, it, that in the title it says episode three, and it's part of this sort of set of poems about Amanda Waller. Can you describe that set of poems a little bit and where this sits within it? Yeah, so um, the first is kind of like an opening where she's entering the Pentagon and walking into like the war room with all these like four star generals and uh, just thinking about her being in that space, like I was saying in the opening, like, you know, she's not supposed to be there. And they that's how they feel. Yet they're like terrified of her because of like all the power that she that she wields. You know, she has more power than Denton and like the Joint Chiefs. So uh, it's amazing that she would even be in that spot. She's, uh, I would kind of like place her uh, up there with like the Condoleezza Rice, like uh, in real life, but uh, even more dastardly with, you know, the things that she's trying to do <laughs> with like, you know, using these uh, felons basically is, you know, props to do all these other like black ops missions um and then there's another uh based on an episode of the justice league animated series that was out like uh almost 20 years ago now which is wild to say <laughs> but um uh batman actually enters her home uh in the morning while she's taking a shower and actually, like, hands her a towel when she reaches for it on the towel rack, you know, because he, like, uh, is stealthy and he can, like, move in and out of places. So, you know, they play, they kind of play this game of one-upsmanship between the two of them because, you know, he's, you know, like, a leader of the Justice League and she's, like, you know, a leader of, like, maybe second or third in command of the free world. So, you know, they're kind of, like, sparring <laughs> back and forth between each other. And it's interesting how that dynamic plays out. Um, and then the last one is uh, episode four, which is mainly related to just her assembling the Suicide Squad and how all these villains feel about her. So um, I was just uh, thinking a lot about when I was uh, coming up with these, you know, when they look at her, you know, how, you know, intimidated they could feel or maybe even thinking that they should not be intimidated because of who she is or what she looks like, her appearance, uh, her race, her gender, like, you know, all the things that are basically marginalized in today's society. The, uh, the Condoleezza Rice connection is obviously there. And it's also, yeah. you know, it's there in the title as well, because obviously uh, some of our listeners might know, because we did an episode on one of the sections of Nikki Finney's Condoleezza Rice the the Condoleezza yeah. suite um we talked about concerto number seven Condoleezza works out at the Watergate, um but that whole set of poems and I'm obviously curious about how you approached being in conversation with that yeah it's really a nod to that to that suite of poems um from Nikki Fenny who's who's a South Carolina native so I follow her uh work pretty closely but um yeah that whole suite is just looking at uh, Condoleezza Rice, not as her 
position or not as her title, but looking at her as, you know, her appearance, like as a woman, as a black woman, and, um, you know, being around these other white men 24 seven, and also like knowing her backstory, like she kind of just came upon the, the American conscience, like, you know, suddenly when uh, George W. Bush was elected, it's like she almost, I wouldn't say she came out of nowhere, but you know, she is now front facing in his administration. It's like, man, we've never seen anything like this before. So um, it's wonderful how uh, Nikki Finney shows like the human side of her. So essentially that's what I was uh, also trying to get to with Amanda Waller was like, you know, this is a, a woman, she's had hardships like in the comics, you know, uh, as was discussed in the poem, you know, she's had a husband, she's had children, she's been in the projects, you know, she didn't come from money, she came from, you know, the inner city and all these things. So um, she essentially worked her way into these positions. She has like several PhDs even. So, um, you know, nothing's been handed to her. <laughs> you know, she's earned everything she's got. So, um it's interesting, like when we look at people, we only see like a title or we just see like what's in front of us rather than, you know, how they got to where they are when they first come before us. So um, I think that's what's so interesting about comics and superhero things is that uh, there's always that not only just the origin, but there's always just like the backstory of, you know, what's behind the mask or what's behind the suit that like you were saying about uh, Wolverine Connor, like, you no, know, this is a human being and this is a person. So I think that's what relates to people, you know, as kids, I think, you know, the, you know, the nice powers and swooshing and the damn and the paps and all the, you know, like the sounds and stuff. But I think on an adult <laughs> level and mature level, you want to know like, you know, what's this person go through at night when they're in bed asleep or when they're thinking about their family or, you know, all these other things that we all go through. Yeah, definitely. That's, yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, and I loved how you were, I went back and reread the um, the Nikki Finney suite after reading the uh, your Amanda Waller suite. And I, yeah, I love how they're in conversation with each other. And it's, yeah, I was wondering, um, you know, it's really interesting. I was thinking about, um those two, your poem and Finney's poem, and then kind of what you say in the um, in the introduction to the future of black and how you um, yeah. you define sort of Afrofuturism, like at its core, is invading spaces that purport blackness as inferior, um, which I right. think um, is such a yeah a great. Um, encapsulation of of the idea and and this poem of yours like really sort of gets at that in a both like a literal sense of you know the the kind of um you know the the halls of the pentagon are um you know amanda waller is is invading those spaces and is clearly superior to all of the the white men um who have other ideas about such things yeah. um at some point i'll form a question but these are a lot of thoughts that i'm having from what you were saying but um 
Well, I wouldn't mind speaking about like what you said on the um, yeah the intro, which is uh, like with Afrofuturism and and then just black movements in general. I think people get uh, people that are not uh, black people get fearful, intimidated, uh, upset because we're just supposed to be happy to be alive, or we're just supposed to be happy to be in the country. Or we're just supposed to like, you know, get along without any type of like resistance or anything. But when you have movements like Black Lives Matter, civil rights, and even Afrofuturism, those are just like opportunities for uh, African Americans to feel good about who they are, where they come from. You know, it's not like just trying to dominate and, you know, be like nationalists and like overtake things which, you know, some people do have those ideas, but I think the greater movements are, you know, just trying to uh, get those, number one, just physiological needs like food, shelter, water, that, and, you know, just basic staying alive that has not been afforded to us uh, in, in times past at all points in American history. So um, I think people latch on to this Afrofuturism uh, concept because, um, it's not something that can be like, I don't think, dominated by other uh, groups or by, by whiteness or by white supremacy. It's like you're uh, thinking of Black people in spaces of science fiction and technology and any type of future projections, which, to be honest, uh, they haven't been uh, in those spaces. Like uh, one of our editors, like I said, in our uh, book launch recently, uh, Cynthia Manning, she wrote this poem about even uh, the Flintstones and the Jetsons, and she's asking the question, like, where are, where are the Black people in Bedrock, or where are the, where are the Black people in the Jetson universe? So uh, it's, it's amazing to see even when those things were created that Black people were considered. So really, the movement itself of Afrofuturism is, you know, not only seeing us in the future, but also seeing us in the past where uh, the future was like looked at, you know, like in the Star Trek generation or, you know, uh, other spaces where you had like sci-fi films and, and uh, stories, novels uh, and all the like, just trying to reclaim everything really. Yeah, it was making me, that makes me think too of one of the kind of central parts of this part of the poem um, uh, is, you know, how, uh, Waller is is peering into the multiverse and then like sort of seeing another version of herself where she's she's like the mammy figure to Harley Quinn, um, which is so fascinating. And then it seems like in the poem. Then sh like that person is then staring back through the multiverse to see Waller yeah. as Waller. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, as it was which like and thinking about the you know like reclaiming those spaces or um you know this idea of like representation and i was just thinking about how exactly. like where there is representation often it's so limited and with like uh you know black women in particular it's like mammy is like one of two tropes kind of that that mm -hmm. figure as like a desexualized mother figure um yeah. and yeah i was just i was curious like how you were engaging with 
like those ideas of of tropes and representation um, in this poem. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like um, to to look back at those uh, tropes, as you said, of you know. Uh, black women as just caretakers for white children or white households and for Amanda Waller to be in such a lofty position of power and to look and see you know oneself first of all the multiverse in general is like a freaky concept you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah I like to ask people do they actually believe in the multiverse and you know how it, you know, how could you be freaked out just by seeing yourself, but, you know, in, you know, different like sp- spaces, positions, environments, you know, jobs, yeah, like everything, like your whole life, just not as you imagine it, or maybe as you imagine it, you know, it's like, and if you're having dreams of like yourself in different places, like, well, is this a dream? Or is this just me somewhere else? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so just that concept is like you know brilliant, and and I think even with with the Marvel uh, cinematic universe right now, they're really playing that up with uh, a lot of their shows now, like uh, the Loki series and um, some of the films that are upcoming. Um, they're really diving into that, but particularly for um, Amanda Waller, yeah, it's like being in this uh, position of power, but then knowing that somewhere in your past, uh, your ancestors were, you know, in, you know, positions that they, you know, couldn't even uh, bear a lot of the time. And then for the Mammy Waller to see this Waller is like, you know, you can't even, it's mind blowing. You can't even, you know, understand like who or what is this? Like, why are you looking at this white girl that way? Or why are you even, you know, standing over her like that? Don't you know who you are and where you're supposed to be? And don't you know your place in in, in the world? So uh, I think both of them would get a shock if they <laughs> were to see the other. You know what I mean? So um, it's just, I think it's cool to play with that. Absolutely. I mean, you can tell why it spawns so many different fun comic book stories. It's just such a, a rich idea. Um, and as you noted, can prompt an entire existential crisis just by thinking about it for too long. Utterly. I mean, <laughs> I know that towards the end of Loki, I was just like, oh my God, this is too much. I don't know if yeah. I can do this right now. It was like, um, so free will. Uh, interesting. <laughs> you know, like when, when these, I mean, it, I, I really enjoyed the series and, you know, it was very good overall, but it, it got pretty intense just by, it, it wasn't even necessarily the story beats. It was like the overall idea that it had that it was playing with. Um, right. And I think something that kind of threads through this poem because of that conceit is that sense of like, I don't know, there, it, it strikes me that there are a lot of, there are a lot of small moments of uh, like violence and dread within the poem um, that I feel like give it a certain flavor and tinge and having that multiverse overlay puts me in that already kind of uh i don't know slightly jittery headspace of like oh this this idea Mm -hmm. freaks me out a little bit and then you have you know i mean waller in the comics and on screen is obviously like willing to do a lot of pretty violent stuff but you get you know whatever it takes she would have choked the maniacal laughter out of him without a smirk of her own um you know like 
she's so bad she'll kill the joker without even flinching you know like this is the guy that batman's had to deal with for decades and she'll just snap his neck and go on to like the rest of her tuesday um and i'm i'm curious how you thought about that aspect of who she was in here because there's the element of her invading these white spaces there's this element of her in conversation with another version of herself um but like kind of a core element of her character is that like whatever it takes attitude Mm -hmm. and also kind of whatever it takes in service of usually some version of country sort of um and I'm, i'm curious how you kind of thought about that and balanced it out as you were writing yeah, I mean, I'm interested in how she does too. Uh, <laughs> it's, right. It's, it's a very fine line to walk to say that you're doing, every, or she's doing everything she's doing for the good of the country, for the good of America, but you know, breaking basically America's <laughs> bedrock principles of like, you know, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and what have you. So, uh, is is interesting how she's like wielding this this power of the government that had that had the government has given her yet they i mean granted they don't know what she's doing i mean this is like off the books off the record everything but you know in her mind you know she's she's right you know her her morals are in check and i think even the the concept of the suicide squad for her is that well what if uh, Superman turns evil or what if Wonder Woman uh, goes rogue or what if you know the whole Justice League just snaps and tries to take over the world then we need a safeguard we need like something else in place besides just tanks and you know uh, choppers and uh, stealth bombers that you know they can rip to shreds you know with their superpowers so so you know she's she's thinking outside the box and you know you got to respect that you know what I mean <laughs> It's not like, you know, she's uh, laying down dead because, you know, the whole thing is like, you know, America doesn't negotiate with terrorists. But, you know, so she's she's taking all that to heart. And um, so on the on the one side, you know, you can't see her as a villain, but mostly that's how she's portrayed is like, you know, against these, you know, superheroes. I don't know if you guys ever seen uh, the show The Boys, yep. which is on uh, Amazon Prime. Yep, I, but, I have. Uh, yeah, and, and it's kind of like that whole concept of what if the superheroes turn evil or, you know, what if they come, become thirsty for power? And, you know, it, it doesn't end well for humanity after that. So um, it's, it's, it's really like, interesting to, to vacillate back and forth with, with that. And, you know, just to see her played, I think I, I can't be mad at her one way or the other because you know even if i'm for batman and then with with the batman form that I, with her that i was uh writing in the second episode it's kind of like you know turning the tables like well you know who's committing breaking and entering here right you know who's the hero <laughs> who's the person that you know is breaking the law or you know who's invading whose space so uh, uh that's always fun to talk about yeah, I found that fascinating in that poem because it does make the, you know, you're talking about finding the personal side of somebody like Amanda Waller. There is that very like personal violation of her space that's happening there. And it is so immediate and intimate and frightening. And yeah. it's, you know, played for a joke in like a children's, not necessarily children's, but that's sort of where it was pitched at the time, though. 
yeah you know i think it holds up pretty well because it's a fairly complex series at, at many points but you know it's played for a joke and it's not funny like it's Mm-mm. deeply terrifying <laughs> and you know pulling the resonance out there um i'm wondering is there a moment sort of like that that inspired this poem are there any moments that you're thinking of in comics or from various on-screen representations of waller that kind of inspired this particular episode in the in the series suite well i think um you know this happens where there's like an alternate justice league in like another universe mm-hmm. and um like an injustice I think like in graphic kind of novels thing. this comes out where you know there's this like dominate like evil justice league who's like taking over the world and like they each have like their own quadrant of the world to <laughs> their own hemisphere to master or whatever so uh, and then who actually solicits the uh justice league on earth or our multiverse our and part of the multiverse is lex luthor of all people who is like you know the biggest villain in probably dc comics so it's like their Luthor is like the the savior who comes back to our multiverse and solicits the Justice League, and they're like, "We're not helping you, <laughs> you know, you know, you you've done too much wrong in our world. Why are we even helping you?" But they end up helping them, so um, that's interesting too. And also with uh, with Lex Luthor, he's been, you know. In the in the comics, he's like white, but also he's been seen as a black character in like c- certain animated series. So that too is is just interesting. Like you were saying, Connor, about representation, you know, good or evil, it's it's hard to see or think about um, these iconic characters any other way. And I think, um, like, I guess traditionalists or purists have a problem with that because anytime you start playing with like spider-man or iron man or uh any of these other characters you know twitter goes crazy right because (laughs) people want to remember you know spider-man the way he was in their childhood or the little mermaid the way she was in my childhood or you know all these other things so it's kind of what our anthology gets into is like you know thinking about uh, uh a small part of our anthology is about thinking about these characters you know, as different races or why couldn't there be a, um, like a black Batman or, um, you know, any other race for that matter, or even gender or uh, sexual orientation and, and these other things. So, um, you know, I think that's why it makes it so exciting to pick up and read. On that subject of the anthology and also on this question of representation, there is one section of it that is all about black superheroes. And I'm curious, you know, sort of what I know you've, you recently uh, wrote a piece sort of about this seeing beyond sight, my journey to Afrofuturism that touches on a little bit of your own experience, like watching superhero media, um, especially as a young person, but also like growing up with this stuff. Um, I'm curious to hear a little bit you know, what that was like for you, but also what is it like, what was it like having some black superheroes and, and how did you interact with that as well? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Um, my childhood I was 
not so uh, steeped in the comics. Uh, one of our editors, uh, Gary Jackson, he's like the comic book encyclopedia. So, you know, he, he knows like issue numbers and dates and all of that about, you know, whatever comic you want to talk about. But um, for me, it was mostly like uh, what I saw on TV and like, uh, like Saturday mornings and, and those type of shows. But I wasn't really even considering my blackness when watching those. It was more so like, and for most people as, you know, the superhero genre is, is like an escape from, you know, reality. Um, I guess for me, it was like a place to not think about race and not have to worry about, you know, this person's black or white. But then somewhere along the line with that mixed with like uh, my, experiences living in the South all my life, like thinking that, well, if I'm gonna be anything in this world, then I have to aspire to whiteness or I have to, you know, negate my blackness. And that was very troubling. And, you know, looking back at it now it was, but that's kind of how I and a lot of other black people move through the world, unfortunately. It's like, you know, denying your own like heritage to uh, feel comfortable or have some semblance of peace in the world. And, you know, I understand now that how damaging that was, but uh, this anthology has helped me to see that. And also like the, the resurgence of Afrofuturism and, um, you know, not just in comics, but also in like music, uh, literature, TV, all these uh, different avenues um, that blackness is something to be, you know, appreciated and not just, you know, you know, swept under a carpet. So it's something that, uh, I've had to do some real work with myself on, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't really see a lot of black, uh, superheroes on the TV screen. Um, anytime they were, they were like, you know, he, they weren't even like sidekicks. They were just like, you know, uh, we'll throw in, like, uh, let me see, we'll throw in like a Mr. Terrific or we'll throw in a Black Falcon somewhere. And, you know, so uh, it's just, uh, they weren't just like the the main attraction. They were just like added add-ons, <laughs> you know, accessories pretty much. So uh, nothing to consider basically. That's probably been one of the biggest changes in, in superhero media, even in the last like five years is you know, Utterly, particu yeah. particularly on screen, because even, you know, the, the comics were ahead of that a little bit, but now on screen, you know, the mantle has been passed and the next Captain America is going to be Anthony Mackie and Luke Cage yeah. has already had a run on Netflix and there's a new Blade series coming. You know, it really feels like there's been a really big change on that. You know, there's a, there's a part of me that's like, you know, well, it's trendy right now and I'm always kind of weary of, you know, when the world wants blackness like as a commodity that kind of like gives me a <laughs> kind of, for lack of a better term, makes my spider sis kick up. <laughs> Perfectly like, put. You know, yeah. um, you know, I'm not not so sure how to feel about this, but I mean, it's it's great. It's a great time to be like a comic book fan or a superhero fan or a, a poetry fan or literature fan or you know, and. Uh, you know, see people at Comic-Cons dressed as like Luke Cage or um, Black Panther and, and a lot of other 
characters that haven't been represented in decades. So it's great and, and I love it, but you know, I just hope it's not a fad where, you know, okay, or we're on to something next now or on to something new. And, uh, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen, but uh, it's a great time now. Hopefully it sustains. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I was, I was glad that uh, to hear more about the anthology. And I was one of the things that I um, love so much about reading through it was that, you know, you have poems from like multiple poems from different poets, um, but they're, you know, it's not sort of like categorized by like, okay, here's the Tracy K. Smith poems. Here's the Yona Harvey poems. It's like, um, you know, it's organized by theme. You know, you start with Man of Steel, more then there's more superheroes, uh, black superheroes, black antiheroes, um, right. black pop culture, black history. Um, you know, you touch on video games, origins, faith, um, and like speculative stuff. Um, and yeah, which I loved. And I just, I was curious about, you know, what the process and thinking was like um, in sort of gathering poems for the anthology and, sure. and also for organizing it. Yeah, um, I think we just kind of took the poems as they were organically and just uh, sort of get kind of like the way you amass a poetry collection. Like, you know, you instead of just organizing, well, this is the first poem I wrote, so I'm going to put this one first. And this is the second poem I wrote. And this is the third. Instead of doing that, it's like, well, what's what are these poems saying to each other? You know, what are, what are they trying to be in conversation with or, you know, what's the overall like, you know, themes coming out in these. So uh, with Gary and, and Cynthia, uh, my fellow editors, we were kind of thinking about, you know, the different ways that the poems were sort of speaking. And um, when I looked at the poems that I saw that we, had, we were having like, you know, several Superman poems. And so that ended up being like the Man of Steel section. So, uh, and I was seeing that we were having um, poems about black superheroes, but also just like superheroes in general. And then uh, particularly there was a, a section uh, of just like, not about like superheroes or anything like that, but just like imagining a world where black people have agency and, you know, we can reach for the stars or, you know, looking at ourselves from different places in the universe. And that's like uh, speculative uh, poetry. And so, um, I think like, it wasn't something that I, I've seen, I've seen in like other anthologies where you, like you were saying, um, like if you have like four poems by one particular poet and they're all in the same place. But, you know, if I'm reading this, then if I think, man, I saw them talk about this in another place. So I have to flip back and like look for where they talked about it. No, they're all in one space for you to consider. So I think that's very important um, considering our reader and how they assimilate all of this and taking all of it in. Cause it's a lot to take in. It's like, it's over 200 pages. So it's like, it's not like you can read it in one sitting. It's something that you can come back to and, um, you know, get something different each time, hopefully. So uh, we had that in mind when we were like putting it together. 
I think that makes it it makes a big difference on the reading experience. At least it did for me because you're right. It's it's way too much to take in in one sitting, but it's the kind of book that you feel like you don't want to put down. You want to stay with it because yeah. you're in, you know, if you're reading the Man of Steel section, you're not just going forward through it. You're going back because you've now read three more poems about Superman that make you reconsider the first one you read. And so you go back to it and you kind of bounce through that section a little bit. And when you're done yeah. with it, you can't wait to have that experience with the themes of the next section. Um, so it's definitely, you know, page turner is the wrong term, right? But it's like because <laughs> you, you're not necessarily wanting to turn the page, but like, you know, it's a it's a deeply engaging collection, and particularly I think the way that it is put together adds a lot to that. Yeah, and but when I read read poems in general or when I'm reading someone's poetry collection, it's like if if the poem is like stunning or if if I'm just like, whoa. I can't read another one. I can't turn the page and be like, okay, well, let's, you know, put that away and let's go to something else. No, I mean, I have to like sit with that. Yep. And it's just the feeling that you get after reading something like that. Um, Like a, you can't just like turn the page on a Natalie Diaz poem. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, Absolutely you have to not. like, <laughs> you have to digest all of these like, yeah. intense concepts, this wordplay, the syntax, all of it, uh, you know, it's, it takes time. And so I think when, when you think about this type of book, it's almost like maybe a comic where, you know, or if you were like binge watching something on Netflix, you know, you can always come back to it. You know, you don't have to, you know, read it all at once because if you do, then, you know, is you're liable to miss something or, you know, if you, you know, take the time to, you know, process it all, I think it'll be a more worthwhile experience. And we should mention, I, I thought of this uh, just because you mentioned the ways in which it's like a comic book. There's also a lot of art in this collection. In addition oh, to yeah. the poems, there is a lot of art. And I, I wonder if you could say a little bit about including all of that and the process of selecting it and also kind of what that art represents. Absolutely. Um, the, first of all, the artwork is amazing. Um, shout out to all of our artists that uh, submitted to us. Uh, we definitely wanted to have um, not just the poetry, but also like like I was saying, the the appeal of a comic book. And so that's a major part of a comic book is the artwork. You know, you don't get that experience just by you know, I mean, a graphic graphic novel is great, but, you know, you don't get the same experience until, you know, you see the animations on the page. And so, again, going back to the representation conversation, when you see some of these uh, fascinating artwork where you see uh, Black people, Black bodies in, like, futuristic type spaces, it, you know, it does something to your mind, I think, where, you know, you're not used to seeing these things. So, uh we tried to put, or at least our, our uh, publisher tried to put, you know, the artwork in places where they would speak to the poems. So I think that's a neat touch as well. So when you're reading the poem, you like, if you look across the page, you're kind of looking at some, I'm not saying, you know, they were the poems were not made for the art or vice versa, but I think, you know, against that conversation about, you know, communication or speaking to one another, that's kind of what they're trying to do. So you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the art that we were able to to get. And also from artists like uh, Najee Dorsey and John Jennings, who are, you know, uh, 
pretty adept at this type of art and uh, they've done like full exhibits and collections on like Afrofuturism and, and um, blackness and those type of things. So it's been great to see uh, people's reaction to the art as well. Yeah, and I also love, I mean, this is, we're getting to the part where I just want to um, fawn over the book, but, and <laughs> I hopefully I'll have a question, but I also love like, uh, in addition to the art, which is just stunning and amazing, the the variety of, of poetry that's um, mm-hmm. in the book is also like amazing. You know, you have, um, you have both, you know, through time, um, like, you know, Lucy Clifton, um, you also have the, that whitey on the moon, uh, right. Which Kill is Scott amazing. Here. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then you have, you know, Tracy K Smith and some of her poems from life on Mars. Um, and then there's, you know, great poems that are more visual and kind of like, I think, uh, you know, complement the the sort of quote unquote pure visual art that's in the book and the quote unquote pure poetry, like the Douglas Kearney works, the Maroon AF and But Black It Can't um, are just, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not, I don't even know how to uh start to talk about them as how to translate that into an audio medium (laughs) we are we are occasionally hamstrung by our uh you know no kearney's kearney's on another level yeah just it is what it is (laughs) yeah um but yeah it's it's amazing and then yeah there's the um uncanny emma till by keith s wilson that that has the kind of um uncanny valley chart uh and like sort of excerpts, I think some are from like, um, gosh, I think like let the people see what they did to my boy. Isn't that a quote mm-hmm. from actually Emma Till's mother? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's like, yeah, I was just sort of blown away by um, all the different formal and visual ways that the book captured um but everything nothing feels like out of place it's it's all it all feels exactly i don't know um part of it so (laughs) yeah Yeah, i love how like poetry is uh kind of doing the work of of comics like when you look at douglas kearney's work this you know he's like really a abandoning a lot of our traditions or what we think about poetry and you know I'm I'm a big fan of just experimental poetry in general and how uh 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 Douglas Kearney and and Keith S. Wilson and and others can just use the page you know at will and you know how do you I don't even know how they you know think like the way they do you know imagine like things like it's really art is what it is it's, it's not just like poetry so you know they're they're just marrying the two in such a unique way and you know I think that just like they're pushing the limits of poetry and making you think in ways that you can't you know put language to which is great and so um you know I think that too speaks to like you know the Afrofuturism culture 
is is like you know the the what are the limits of blackness and then if there are limits then let's like blow past them and so uh yeah we were just grateful just to have uh those two guys and and, and more you know like experimental forms like uh we have like uh work by uh, ashley and jones who <clears throat> uses the page in different ways and uses different structures and like spiral poems and you know, you just have to really appreciate that from people. I, you know, I, I wish I could do that type of stuff, uh, you know, but it makes me think as a poet, like, oh, you can really do that. Like, dang. So, yeah, I, I love reading that, those type of things. Yeah, it's really incredible. And, you know, as you're saying, the visual element of those poems is so striking when you're actually reading them on the page. Um, and I think, you know, you're mentioning that you don't necessarily go to those more uh, super experimental places, but there's a lot of, you know, formal moments in this poem that really stuck out to me that are, mm-hmm. you know, language uh, moves that you are making that I think are just incredible. Um, the moment that really stuck out to me first is uh, watching her beloved Miss Harley sneak back through her bedroom window at night after necking by the lake with Mr. Jackson Napier, the way that all those sounds are happening in those particularly in the two lines through her bedroom window at night after necking by the lake with mr jackson napier lake and napier napier sounds like nape of a neck and they're necking and it's just all mm-hmm. so sonically tight and thematically tight those that's just like you know that's the kind of thing where i look at that and i have the reaction that i think you're describing looking at some of these other poems are just like yeah i wish i could do that that'd be cool <laughs> <laughs> you know i'd like to think of that I appreciate that. Yeah, the, the like those hard sounds uh, are really tight, like you say, together um, in that. And I think like like even with like the name Joker is like, but mm-hmm. I think those maybe like villainous type of like vibes come from like those harder sounds, you know, whereas, you know, maybe softer sounds are like more, you know, superhero like or you know something that we uh respond to well versus like hard sounds we kind of like you know stand at attention to or we need to be on guard for lex luther yeah exactly craven the hunter yeah (laughs) good superhero names or good villain names uh well i think we could probably talk about all this stuff pretty much forever (laughs) but we are nearing the end of our of our allotted time together so is there anything about this poem that you really want to highlight that we didn't bring up in our conversation or anything about the anthology that we didn't quite get to? Um, just, uh, just the design in general. Um, not only is there art, not only is there like experimental poems and uh, there are uh, like one or two like comic strips in here from, that we got from some artists, but uh, just the design that our publisher has has done is I'm just blown away every time I see it. Just the design of the pages and just everything. I, I really honestly can spend more time with it and come up with more things to uh, think about, but also just the, the cover. Uh, we really love it. Uh, it just speaks to like uh, you have these three uh, young people on the front and this kind of like the future, right? <laughs> you know, is literally the future of black. So, uh, but they're in like a wasteland and that's just um, like, 
Najee Dorsey has this uh, series of poems like this uh, of Afrofuturism. And, you know, it's kind of like a sort of like we were talking about before, like if you're not careful and this is just a fad, then, you know, what's going to be left afterwards or, you know, when the smoke clears or, you know, when all the bones are on, on the earth, you know what I mean? <laughs> kind of like a apocalyptic vibe. So uh, it's very, it's very interesting to me. So uh, I appreciate the time that you all have dedicated to not only my poem, but uh, the poems in the anthology. And um, I hope that the listeners will engage with it more and let us know how they feel about it because uh, we're really excited about it. Excellent. Well, we have, uh, we've read the poem. We've talked about the poem. There's only one thing left to do and that is read the poem again. So Len, if you would do the honors, it would be great to, especially after this whole conversation here, episode three, Amanda Waller has a woman to woman with Harley Quinn once more. Oh, sure. Episode three, Amanda Waller has a woman to woman with Harley Quinn. She peers into a realm of the multiverse and sees she is Quinn's mammy, donning the black and white maid uniform with a toothy grin and fractured English dialect of a broken education. Watching her beloved Miss Harley sneak back through her bedroom window at night after necking by the lake with Mr. Jackson Napier. What to make of this youngin who has a life mapped out for her until death. Mammy worked her fingers to the bone all her life, so no time to marry Hill, no time to make babies either, tending generations of white chillin' passing through the Quinn house. Who knew this child would get touched in the head? Mammy peers through her own crack in the multiverse to see Miss Harley dressed like a schoolgirl who played with her mama's makeup case and standing in front of her is a familiar looking dark skinned woman in a suit like a man. She looks mad at Miss Harley who is sitting in a chair like she's in trouble with the principal. The big boned black woman in the suit with arms folded does not seem impressed or threatened by the girl's whiteness. She doesn't have the luxury to date a psychopathic white man. She would have choked the maniacal laughter out of him without a smirk of her own if he tried her. Joker only syringed Quinn's mind with his hysteria because he knew she was malleable. She will not don a blonde lace front wig and pigtails. She lost a son, a daughter, a husband to the ruthless Chicago projects. She does not have time to lose her mind too. But as Mammy stares at this version of herself, she sure feels like she has lost every marble God gave her. Black women don't dress in no suits and they sure don't look down on white folk. Mammy ain't got time for these games. So she goes to her room to pray to her ever loving God that these dreams from the devil don't plague her sweet soul no more. Yet while she sleeps, she hears that shrill devilish laughter of cackling in her mind with the high-pitched squeal of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed piglet following close behind. Wonderful. Quickly before we go, do you have a recommendation of something to read, watch, or listen to for our listeners? 
Yeah, um, I'm going to put out there one of our contributors who's really taking the world by storm right now, Ashley M. Jones. She has a collection called uh, Reparations Now, and uh, she just became the first Black female uh, Port Laureate of the state of Alabama, and uh, she's really being celebrated for it. So uh, it's really something worth uh, checking out is her new collection, Reparations Now. I'm really excited to read it, and it's great seeing all the attention that she's getting for it and for her her recent appointment. Yeah, she's, and also uh, some of those poems in that collection are in our anthology, so I'm really hyped about that too. So yeah, we're really excited about uh, the syllabus that we have in the back of um, other uh, genres and uh, movies and TV shows and articles and just like if you're just starting your future journey or if, you know, you uh, have been, you know, on the journey for a while and you want more things to read or to see, um, I think it's important to put this uh, anthology like, you know, in the other, uh, you know, works that are out there and not say, well, this is the definitive work. Of, no, this is like the, you know, just um, landmark on the road of, you know, Afrofuturism work. So um, we really wanted to put uh, this with that. And also some of the poems in here are speaking to a lot of these things in the syllabus. So uh, definitely uh, check out that part of it and uh, see how, you know, you can go to your next work or go to your, your next movie or your next thing that's, that you can uh, have fun with. Beautiful. Well, Len, thank you so much for coming on Close Talking and sharing your work and having this conversation with us. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. Uh, thank you, Jack. Thank you, Connor. Uh, really appreciate the time. Well, that was an amazing conversation with Len. I enjoyed that very much. And his excellent recommendation for further reading, watching, and listening. Uh, do you have any recommendations based on your recent reading, watching, and listening experiences? Well, Jack, I am so glad you mentioned that because actually I do. Dr. Len Lawson had mentioned um, the Afrofuturism syllabus resource in the back, um, which I also would recommend people check out. Um, but, and one thing that's cool is it's, you know, it's got novels, it's got art, it's got poetry, um, but it's also got, you know, video games and movies and albums. Um, and yeah, I would just, uh, I would recommend, um, well, Janelle Monet's uh, Dirty Computer uh, is in the syllabus. And I would really recommend most things that she's done. Um, she is a wonderful singer, an artist, uh, and her music videos especially are um, just like so cool. Um, and one of her videos that I, I feel like captures Afrofuturism a little bit is, um, I think it's called Queen. 
Um, and it's the video is like, there are these girls um, who are like in this future museum, basically. And then basically the like people, the figures in the museum like come to life and then everything gets very funky and groovy. love it when things get funky and groovy it's awesome um also my favorite song from dirty computer is make me feel i would have to say and that one's just very fun um i like that is also great sometimes i'm free depending on my mood Sometimes I wanna roll or stay at home. Walk in contradiction, get some factual and fiction. A little crazy. Um, so, yeah. Janelle Monet, Dirty Computer, and the music video for Queen. Very good. Very, very good. Jack? Yes. Um, I've bared my soul to you. I've recommended something from deep within the heart. Yeah. Uh, and now it is your turn. Deep uh, within deep... your funky heart. <laughs> yes. Uh, what do you, what, uh, what things have you been uh, listening to, reading, watching, absorbing lately that, that you'd like to share with, with others? Are you ready for the secrets of my groovy aortas? <laughs> um wow they got the pump Woo! yeah they got a real beat anyway um (laughs) i in the last like week discovered the music of the british nigerian rapper little sims i don't know if you're familiar with her Um, no um right i the first song of hers I listened to is called Point and Kill. which just came out on september 2nd of this year and then i went on a whole listening to all her stuff she's done a tiny desk concert and a bunch of other stuff she also has really incredible music videos uh one of which i believe is at a museum as well um and i also found out that she narrated a tv series called afrofuturism that was about exactly what it sounds like it would be about it's afrofuturism um but her music is just it's incredible i love it um genre blending stuff and just great lover so yeah little sims my awesome. my came across her stuff and thematically appropriate for our episode and uh good 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 <laughs> just good amazing just really i love really it good. I I 
Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is co-host Jack Rossner Munley. Just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us, and we love to hear from you. It's always great to know if you have a different reading of this poem or any of the other poems we've covered, or if there are any poems you wish we would cover in the future. You can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com, or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. And the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Close Talking. See you next time.